0: You're listening to the Intuitively Intermittent Podcast. Whether this is your first time joining me or your hundredth, thank you for being here and being a part of this important conversation. In June 2018, I was tired of being asked by the intuitive eating groups to take my conversations about intermittent fasting elsewhere. At the same time, the conversation in the intermittent fasting community wasn't addressing the emotional and spiritual needs of my IF lifestyle. Before I knew it, the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group was up and running, and I started this podcast. I am super excited to bring you the personal stories of folks who are combining intuitive eating and intermittent fasting successfully, and really creating lives that bring them joy and meaning. Hi everyone, Andrea here. And I am with Tracy Brown tonight. Um, she is a registered dietitian and a tuned eating and body image coach. And I came across Tracy back in the middle of March when I started my intuitive eating journey. Uh, and I found her when I was looking for a hunger and fullness scale. And there's a lot of different scales out there. But what I particularly liked about Tracy's is that um, it had some nuances to it that uh, I'm sure she'll talk about during our conversation here, but I found it to be very helpful um, in a way that bridged sort of a gap, because intuitive eating is a big, scary thing when you get started, at least it was for me. So um, Tracy, thank you for agreeing to chat with me.
1: Hi, Andrea. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to be able to talk about, I love you use the word nuances. That's one of my favorite words, because um it helps us immediately stop that like perfectionist thing in our heads as a right and wrong way to do it and a pass and fail way to do this and more about what am I noticing? What's coming up? What feedback is this giving me? The more we can be in that space, the easier it is to make sense of what we're, what we're sensing and feeling from a, a little bit more compassionate place. So I love that you just start right off the bat with that.
0: Yes. I feel like there's too much black and white thinking and, um, so much of this intuitive eating journey for me feels like it's living in the gray. Um, and and so I, am you know, appreciative of, of the fact that, um, you seem to recognize that as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and ultimately like, you know, you created this hunger and fullness scale and that's how I found you. So maybe a little bit about how you came to that place. Okay, well, I'll try to make
1: my life story as fast as possible. <laughs> um, I was lucky to grow up with a fairly um, easygoing relationship with food until my mid-teenage years. Now, I did witness my family members, especially the females, um, you know, dieting and having their own body image issues, um, and I definitely would consider some of them maybe not eating disorder, but disordered eating, um, and so that really didn't. I, you know, I had a series of kind of uh, events happen over time. And like when I got to high school and I had another like incident where it's like, it kind of just like catapulted me into like, Oh, well everybody else seems to have it going on and they all die. That was my teenage thinking. And it kind of really quickly catapulted me into um, an eating disorder. And so that lasted a couple, the eating disorders tend to go in phases for people. So there was a phase of like extremes, extremes, and then there was, and you know, definitely some really good treatment. And I was really lucky to meet a a nine diet sort of dietitian that was, again, very well created choice for me versus there's the, here's the right way to do this and you have to do it this way to be recovered. And it was more, oh, and so you think like, you're scared of these kind of foods. Well, with this one similar, and you're not scared of that one. So why don't you just have more of that one? And it really opened up like, oh, like I can have a say in this and I can relearn how to be my own body expert again. And so that was the beginning. Now I did get off the track a little bit. And a lot of it had to do with going, um, going away to school and kind of switching from, I'm not going to worry about being thin. I'm just going to be really fit. Um, and got really sucked into that. And, and because in our culture, you know, fitness has put on a huge pedestal of like, you know, um, you, it makes it means something about you morally, like you're so strong and you're disciplined and you're this or that, and I got really pulled into that, unfortunately, and all the extremes that go with that. So anyway, long story short, um, kind of saw the insanity of that after a while, and it it was one of the hardest periods of my life, not only from some stuff that was going on in my life, but I'm also in school to be a, a dietitian because I thought dietitians were all like the one I had initially, which was like just very non-judgmental and compassionate and letting me kind of lead things, but she didn't have quite the body image piece, which is what I really needed and missed at that time, possibly to help me go down, you know, kind of not go down the switching road of compulsive exercise and, you know, clean eating. And this is back before cleaning was a thing. This is kind of what I was doing. (laughs) Uh, This is like 1997 before those had labels. I was just doing extreme stuff. Um, So, but it's all, in the, yeah, all in the under the umbrella of like, oh, I'm just being really healthy. I'm really super fit. And, you know, but it was all super obsessive. But anyway, um, I started to have some good things shift my life. I restarted kind of commitment to like fully being done with all this insanity. And I was in my last year of um, undergrad um, to be a dietitian with a couple other steps and years after that. But um, I started recognizing our nutrition counseling classes like, oh, my goodness, like this – the way we're taught to counsel and even the attitude around food is I'm the expert and the authority and people really aren't to be trusted with their bodies. If something's not working right, it's like something they're wrong about and I know all the answers and it just didn't feel good. And it really kind of felt like to be colluded with um, diet and eating disorder culture, which I was like, you know, I just, climbed and clawed my way out of and I'm not saying that's inherently like the track it's just the medical model on some degree like you know the authority figures and then, then you <laughs> if you go to them for help yeah or advice. and I just recognize okay so I'm gonna have to like either find a different way of you know and basically and essentially learn body trust again and and I could s- I had learned also some of my like pre, um, what was it? During some of that that year too, I also recognized. And again, this wasn't a label for it because at this time it's like 2000, and I recognized that I had like an, this internalized fat prejudice. I didn't really know that I had a name or a label. I just recognized that like I started, you know, projecting like oh my fears about weight gain, and I do it outward versus looking at my own stuff. And every single time I was projecting outward at something or somebody else or whatever preceding that was always this moment of like, I feel like too much. And I make it, it would almost be so painful to look at my own like stuff. Like, you know, I'm kind of, um, what's the word, um, punishing my own stuff with like, you know, I couldn't control, I felt like I couldn't control my food enough willpower or whatever because I was working out so much and not feeling myself well enough that like, of course I'm going to binge. Of course. Right. I didn't have the, the, um, again, the right word is I didn't have the insight to like, and eventually I started to see it once I started to catch my own projection. Then I was say, well, of course, if I don't eat enough carbs in the day at some point, I'm probably going to come get it through the back door somehow. And when that was happening, I would make it about, it was so painful to look at within yourself. I would project it out. And I started catching that. So anyway, all the stuff started to come together. My last year of college, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to find another profession or figure out how to do this in a very non um, – yeah, just non-stigmatizing, teaching people how to be their own experts kind of way. Because this is the only way that I've learned how to have freedom. So and what I'm learning here ain't it. <laughs> so um, that was just that long journey. So that would have been like 2000, 2001-ish. And then, you know, flash forward, I don't know, four or five years. And I was in my first year or two of being a dietitian. And I didn't really know what um, like a nutrition therapist who worked with disordered eating and chronic dieting and diet trauma looked like. I just knew that like, I kind of had a sense of like, well, diets aren't just going to work. It's just not going to really help anybody feel again down into their bodies and that's when I started to like again I didn't really have a word for intuitive eating I had to learn I just kind of learned kind of how to do it and I had to draft off being around people who ate kind of normally whatever I thought that meant slash kind of remember how I was as a kid you know like eat was hungry except when I was full I didn't have any problems with sweets I didn't have any problems with eating that stuff as a kid because I just it was available it was around if I didn't like something I didn't need it you know it was pretty simple. So that's kind of how I recut myself. And I had some help again in guidance. I re- went when visit that old dietitian and we talked a little bit more about like body image at that point and all that. And she had progressed in her skill level too. And, you know, and she was the only game in town. Thank goodness that she was a good one. Um, yeah. It sounds like you got very lucky there. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, oh my goodness. Like she, there was a blessing there for sure. Cause I just dropped that happened for me. Uh, and that was my, vision of what I thought dietitians were supposed to be like. And then I get out in the world I'm like, eh, no, not too many. Most people are kind of like, kind of scared, kind of rigidity with their own food. Sometimes not all dietitians, but some. And so I, um, anyway, I, again, another luck happened where I met a dietitian who'd been in the field for like 20 something years. And we had met a couple different times in our different community, um, I moved from state to a different state and a different, bigger area. And we had met through a couple different events or whatever. And she just like, Hey, I need some help. And the rest is kind of history. Um, and I did tons of supervision and working and learned all about uh, like having a framework for what I teach. I was kind of doing it. I just didn't have a language for it. Um, you know, intuitive eating and a hunger fullness scale. And that's where I learned, you know, there's, there's a, there's one intuitive eating book, obviously that goes from like, I think, um, one through 10, the one I use is zero through 10 because I think it provides more nuance. Um, I learned the zero through 10 scale from my mentor. And then, you know, I worked for her for several years and then eventually went on my own and made this guide that, you know, Andrea, you have, and I hope that everybody kind of gets, it's a free download, just, you know, get it, sign up for whatever. And not only do I try to break it down in like some descriptions of what sensations can feel like and hunger sensations, for example, aren't always just like, Oh, my belly is like, it's open and kind of growling. You can have um, hunger and it feels like in your shoulders and not because it's like literally in your shoulders, but that would be a place you're so starving that you're starting to feel your, your cells be like almost hunch your shoulders over. And, like, I'm so hungry. I'm so tired. I can't really keep myself up kind of feeling. Um, and it describes that in a lot of detail, I think. And I, I know Andrea, you've kind of just expressed that it provides a lot more nuance that's what I tried to provide. And I also kind of broke it down into like, if you're at this place, you should expect hunger a certain amount of time. And if you're at this place of fullness, you know, these places of hunger and fullness are pretty, um, what's the word? Don't provide much stress to our bodies. So when we get on the extremes of like, let's say zero and one and nine and 10, your body's going to be anxious. And sometimes we think, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm so anxious. It's, it's this thing. Well, maybe it's just your body either uncomfortably, uncomfortably full or uncomfortably, uncomfortably hungry. Um, and in that guide, I also talk about how to discern, like, they, we also get somatic um, sensations that sometimes are in the same spaces, especially in our core and our midsection, um, like either somatic memories or emotion, and they can get all twisted up sometimes with our hunger and fullness. And I kind of make an introduction of how to separate that out too.
0: Can you define that word for me? Like I, I've read it and I've seen it in a few different places, but I'm not super familiar with it. And so I'm wondering if that might be true for some of my listeners too. So specifically, I'm talking about somatic.
1: Yeah. Somatic, honestly, if you look it up, it's a fancy word for just body. So okay. all of our emotions are essentially, you can have like a spinning head and that can feel like like the a, a turbine racing or whatever, a hamster wheel in your mind of like maybe that can you can have like mental anxiety but you can also have physical like it's all physical I guess but like body like I can you could feel your anxiety maybe in your chest or in your belly or when your foot's twitching you know those kind of sensations of your body giving you signals like something feels it doesn't it's not inherently obviously wrong or right or bad or wrong it just is and I think for a lot of people if you've been in when I say diet culture, you know, just being like, have used food, either restricting or binging or some vacillation between, um, it, it starts to take on like this role that it can't fill. And you start to like confuse, especially if you've ever been on a diet, the goal usually isn't to be nourished or satisfied. The goal is like, how little can I get away with essentially yeah. and, and stay upright and kind of sort of you know, be in my life as best I can. Um, and what starts to happen is these signals get all, um, they get kind of confused essentially. So somatic just means like I'm feeling, and sometimes it's not, sometimes we can't label it as happy, mad, sad, or afraid. We often might feel it as like rushy or buzzy or flat or whatever. And if we can, if we have the resources to lean into that a little bit, what starts to happen, it'll either expand in a good way and we kind of ride the wave and it's over or you might feel it contract and we might need to support it in different kinds of ways to where it's like, okay, this feels, this is definitely not hunger. You don't feel hunger in your mouth or in your jaw or in your chest, You know, physiologic body hunger, like I need fuel. It's in your upper belly. Um, Everything else is just sensation that
0: is a messenger essentially. So I know I'm on the scale. I one of the things I read, and I don't remember exactly which number it came in on, but you talked about um, like anxiety, like a um, like when you get down to, is it like maybe a two or something that you start to have anxiety? Like when I think of anxiety, I think of more like a a, an emotion or right, you know, something mental.
1: Well, we can have body anxiety at a zero or one, which means our the need for fuel has been kind of heightened for a while and that's been kind of disregarded for whatever reason, purposeful, not purposeful, life happens, whatever. Um, You're gonna, I don't know for me, but I I, you've been tracking this stuff for a long time. And when you get really, really hungry, like a zero one, it almost feels like, like cellular anxiety. Like, okay, where's the food? Where's the food? Because we don't want to be starved. That's like, cell death. No one, our cells don't want that. So it can make your body, um, really uncomfortable. I don't know. It's like, it's a really weird thing to talk about, but when you're at nine and 10, you know, that's more fuel sometimes than what can feel good to handle at that moment. So your body, again, you might feel just really uncomfortable. Now, some people don't have like that intense, I think body anxiety. I think that has a lot more to do with how long one's food intake has been really chaotic. Okay. You know, if you have a history of starving, you know it might feel really scary, actually, in your body to not know when you're going to get fed again. You know, and my clients who have ever been through a lot of poverty, have been through some real starvation, or have just been through a lot of, um, you know, disordered eating or or, um, self-imposed, under eating or starvation for a long time. There's, and especially if they've had other periods where they ate normally. Or if they ate normally for a while and then they had like a, a rough day or a bad day, it's harder to handle like not getting enough food versus somebody who's been well fed their whole life and just happens to have a day where like, oh, I forgot my lunch. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, so.
0: So um, what I know when we were sort of chatting before I started recording, you were talking about like pros and cons of using this sort of scale when starting an intuitive eating journey. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, I think the pros would be certainly to not have to guess because the number one mistake I see in people who first start intuitive eating is when they're trying to give full permission, they're not really able, usually the hunger fullness signals are off because either we've been on one end of the scale or other, or you've been bouncing ping-ponging back and forth between not truly ever getting enough food. And so people often tell me, let's say a six. Now on my hunger scale, six says, okay, there's some fuel in there, enough to get me by for two hours. Like you won't have hunger signals. Like you won't have the need to eat for two hours. But most people who have been trying to diet, like under eat purposely, won't have, it's almost like they hit a six and because there's been so much rule-based eating for so long, they'll they'll tell me, like, oh, I'm full, I'm done. I'm like, Well, what are you feeling full of? Because I don't think it's food. You actually didn't you got enough to get by for two hours. But this is there's a difference between I'm getting by and I'll be hungry in two hours versus I'm good and done for a while. Like I don't have to think about food. And most clients underestimate their fullness because they're used to like the construct of how much can I eat and tell myself it's enough <laughs> versus actually, do I feel like this is enough? And, I, and can I, am I okay with that?
0: Different yeah. And, I, and then I feel like, you know, the, the instances where like before I started to tune into this stuff myself, like the instances where I would say like, I'm full would be at like the special occasions, like the family gatherings or the, you know, the restaurant dinners. And so like my, my sense of fullness tended to be the, the circumstances that weren't my everyday, Um, and so, you know, maybe those were approaching like an eight or a nine in terms of my fullness. Whereas, you know, on a normal day, I maybe don't want to get past a seven or an eight to fully nourish my body.
1: Yeah. And I would say, I mean, getting to sevens or eights at your main meals is pretty normal actually. Um, the less times you eat in a day, the more likely is you got to get fuller to get nourishment without your brain kind of being on the lookout for when's the fuel gonna come versus like that body relaxation. Um, if you're more of a snackerish kind of person, you're just gonna eat more often essentially. Um, but I really it really pushed my clients to be able to be flexible and comfortable in all these different situations because life's gonna happen where, all you get is like a couple opportunities and you better, you know, you kind of got to get it in while you can. And then sometimes it's like the food's there every day, all day long. A, you're home all day. You can eat when you really truly want. And so it just depends on, again, your individual body, what feels the freest to you and what feels best in any given week. And I'm a, very, very much a proponent of like, you know, some, we're, we're going to eat differently depending on the week in our cycle. We're going to eat differently depending on like if you've got – some long-standing cold or something, you know, where it's, things are always going to, it's almost like if you want to predict something, is it like, you know, you're probably going to have different phases in your life that you differently. And it's just, and being able to like, know that like you didn't do anything wrong. It's just, you're actually responding to your, your circumstance.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like from what you said, some of the challenges from working with your clients mm-hmm. um, is around maybe you know they say they're they're full at like a 6 when in reality they didn't eat enough to nourish their body for you know the the time that they really right. should have um are there other hurdles that that you encounter when people are starting this
1: yeah and i think the other end of the spectrum is typically people like i don't i can't find um my edges and they have a hard time like you know, I have, and those are people that I'm really doing a lot, actually a little more somatic work with. I mean, everybody do that with, but being able to help them literally separate out like what feels like the, the, the need to, um, you know, modulate feelings and sensation versus the only way they have to do it is to like, um, use that, use the food as the break. Like, okay, I'm so full. Now I can like stop. and I don't feel as much, you know? Um, and, Basically, learning how to like when you get to sevens and eights, be comfortable and feel safe and secure stopping there, and then being able to have other resources for whatever else is feeling like I need to fill or whatever the too muchness is that we've used food for to like go to nines and tens consistently. If that makes sense, or be a person that like never lets them. The third option is like there's occasions where people have a hard time letting themselves ever get really get hungry. You know, because anytime there's a little lapse and like, oh, I'm not as full, I need to eat, I must be hungry. Well, no, there's just a lack of, there's an absence of physiologic hunger that you're just, you're at a six, you're just not as full. Um, that's not as, that's not quite as common as the other two options of like either underestimating fullness, under, um, overestimating hunger, um, and then kind of knowing that they're full, but they don't want to stop. Um, yeah. And in all those circumstances, you know, we're trying to like find the true physiologic edges of hungerfulness And then what
0: else do we need to satisfy essentially? Yeah. So one thing that I'm curious about, and, and this may be a, a bigger can of worms that we can you know, um, pause on until a later time, if, if you think it's appropriate, but um, you know, I'm, I'm tapping into my own experience for a second. Like when I first started the intuitive eating stuff, um, I think that my insulin was way out of whack. And so like i I think I was insulin resistant, even though I had no no doctor tell me that. Um, I believe that my body wasn't processing my food in a way that was keeping me satisfied. And so I would have a breakfast and, you know, it was a balanced breakfast and you know, maybe would have been enough to get me through to lunchtime, but I was, you know, convinced I was hungry after just a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm curious, like how that sort of stuff factors into this, because like there are other things going on in our body that sometimes are going to impede our our right. hunger and fullness. Sure,
1: signals. yeah. So whether like a medical nutrition issue like that, possibly. Um, I find that when people have something kind of going on and you're getting those signals that don't feel like if you're really able to look at it from like a non-restrictive place, like, you know, what's up with this? I really feel like, like physically I feel full. Um, but there's something else going on. You, then you, you play with meal mix to kind of figure out what is going to best work. Of course, I would always recommend get lab work a little bit and see what's really going on. That way um, you kind of, you're kind of, you treat treating a little bit more efficiently if you have to with like medications or supplements or whatever your, your route is. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I have people with PCOS and, you know, diabetes and other autoimmune things. And so there's this dance that we do of like honoring the, the situation our bodies are in, but coming from a place of providing versus depriving.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And so, I think mean, I don't know if that's, that answers your question. That's not really a can of worms for me. It's but it's more about like, okay, your body actually is more sensitive to whatever's coming in and moving around and what's happening. So from a place of like, I'm not broken. I'm a little bit more sensitive. What, what needs to happen here? So you tweak, you kind of play with your food a little bit, but not coming from a place of like, you know, my body's not okay. I need to fix it. I'm I'm way too much, whatever, and more of like, okay, what does my body need here? So my signals are more clear, and um, you feel good, you know, like there's vitality, and there's like that. There's always this line between like vitality and doing what we need to do with our food or or our self-care, wellness strategies, and not becoming it another obsession. Because you know, when when we have something going on, it's it's really easy no, no, um, blame or shame or judgment about that to like, you know, some, depending on the person to clamp down do every try to do everything perfect and right. And all those kind of things will really you probably don't need to be that way to manage something.
0: Sure. And, um, I know, um, you mentioned that there's sometimes, you know, some, some cons to using a hunger fullness scale. And I would imagine that there's a possibility of just turning it into another set of rules or or something. Like how do you how do you navigate that with your clients? Like do you find that sometimes people end up trying to be too rigid with it and just I'm usually pretty it into fast. I'm pretty
1: fast usually within depending on like when I introduce it in the series of work that we do, whether it's it's a way down the road for some people or whether it's, you know, right at the beginning, I can usually tell within the first couple of sessions if somebody's turned it into the intuitive eating diet um, just by the language of like, yeah, that was good. It was really satisfying. Like that was good. I'm looking at it's like six, 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 you know, or six and it's like six hours and they eat to a six again. I'm like, what's going on that feels like that's enough and tell me more. And what was this like? And really unpacking what the experience is for them. And they're basically kind of eating like they always ate maybe a few adjustments here or there. Um, because they really didn't realize how much of a container this dieting had played for them and whatever's going on underneath it. And so it's not that they're wrong, they're hunger and fullness. It's just not actually permission to eat. It's just, Oh yeah, I can tell that I'm a two to a six. And then typically if you go to a six, at least on my scale, again, you should be hungry in two hours. Well, though you might be skipping four to four hours and then writing down like a three or a four. So Either a lot of times, I I mean, clients, they kind of know, especially everybody I ever work with, honestly, very intelligent, usually highly sensitive people. So there's a level of kind of knowing, like, actually, I knew I was a two. I just didn't want to write it down because I didn't want to admit that I was that hungry. And they'll write down a four. And so just by unpacking, you know, those sheets that people bring in, or even if they don't write it down, you just talk through the day. Um, we're kind of decoding is a different level, like actually how the food is, what that experience is like, what was going on around that. And, um, yeah, just getting a ton of information. So then people can choose like, well, okay, what do you feel like you need here? What do we want to do with this? And, Cause this is your life. This is your data. Um, and, and your goals are over here. So how can we support what you want? And it's okay. If you're feeling scared about that, if you're not ready to change that.
0: Yeah. So, um, to sort of wrap up a little bit, um, I'm, I would love for you to share, like, I know you do work with clients. Um, and so do you want to talk a little bit about what might lead a person to reach out to you and try to work with you and what? I um, guess most was the,
1: yeah. I mean, people work with me from all of the world and we do hungerfulness work and, um, disorder recovery work and coaching and body image work. And, um, you know, some people do a lot of meal support work with me, knowing that they kind of know what they want to do, but actually the getting down to the nitty gritty of a meal and, and, um, feeling how it feels to have support and somebody guide that is, um, what they need. So, um, and people work with me all kinds of ways. I mean, one-on-one, um, I offer a self-paced program because I'm really, you know, I came from an area where it's like, there was, this, again, this is, you know, late nineties, again, very few people resources and certainly, you know, not really know what they're doing. And I was just really determined way back then, if I ever did this, like, you know, of course I would do one-on-one work and all that, but I also want to provide some resources for people that just, you know, couldn't get to it for whatever reason, you know, financially, whatever. So I have a self-paced thing that I've tried to, I keep adding to the modules of like common roadblocks and here's how we're going to work through it and, and all those things. And then there's a ton of information about what we talked about today in there around and just even more in depth. So there's that kind of stuff. And I also train professionals a lot because um, I think the really detailed um, decoding and the unpacking of people's experiences um, is really important for um, all kinds of clinicians to know how to do too. And so I teach people again, in in kind of teaching groups and then um, like a little school as well. So
0: Um, I was just going to say, and where, where can people find you? Like, I know you mentioned that you have your, um, your hunger fullness scale, which is part of a, like an an ebook that you make available. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's on your website. Do you want to share like how, what your website is and how people can find you on social media? So
1: it's Tracy Brown, RD. So Tracy with just T-R-A-C-Y Brown, RD.com. I, um, right now video seems to be my thing. Sometimes I write more, but I do a lot of Facebook lives right now. So it's Tracy Brown RD at you know, Facebook um, and all the other social media handles, except for Twitter. I don't really do Twitter, but um, you know I do either Pinterest or Instagram or um, I love YouTube as well. So same kind of places there. You can find me that if you just can't stand Facebook, then all my videos are fairly well updated on YouTube as well as same you know, Tracy Brown. Um just to kind of like, just like we're doing today, Andrea, just kind of diving into like, like a topic like this and talking between you know five and thirty minutes, or ten or yeah, between ten and thirty minutes about um, just a nuance of something to help people take what they see like with the writings out there and the books, and then what it actually really feels like and what do we do about it. So that's kind of what my my goal of all those you know resources is about.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I'll um I'll have to and I've. My social media uh, has been sort of overwhelming lately, so I'll have to revisit that. It sounds like it would be really helpful for where I'm at in my journey right now. And I talk a ton about Um, fitness
1: because that was a big part of my struggle as being fairly, I don't like to use the word addicted, but fairly addicted to the process of using exercise as a way to like prove worth, as well as honestly, I think we look back as like the only way I knew how to modulate any kind of anxiety. I just didn't have any tools. And so being just sitting and being felt like I was crawling on my skin. And so I talk, like that's what I'm talking about actually this week is um, I don't talk about it enough. Like, I need to talk about that more because it's, it's pretty painful to like look at even our relationship with movement and how do we get to the, you know, how do we find again that middle ground where it's like our body's kind of, sometimes the body, well, the bottom line is our bodies do want to move. It's just usually not at the, expectation or the, what we, how we think we need to do is just not what our body needs us to do. Um, But learning how to like, take it easy and, and like kind of pump it up when it
0: feels like,
1: you know, I can do that. And it's not really about obsession. So the same kind of principle, you know, but
0: um. yeah. Thank you for taking time out of your day to um, chat with me. And um, definitely for those of you that are listening um, you know, reach out to Tracy. Her website again is tracybrownrd.com and find her on Facebook. It sounds like that's where she's most active these days. But um, I mean, I reached out to you, I think, on Facebook Messenger first, and you were, you know, really kind to, to converse with me about some of my getting started stuff. So, um, you know, thank you for taking yeah. that time and um, sharing your thoughts. Mm hmm. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Intuitively Intermittent podcast. If you would like to join in a community of like-minded fasters, uh, come on over to the Intuitively Intermittent Facebook group and join the conversation there. I look forward to seeing you just answer a few questions and I'll let you in the group and you can be a part of the amazing community that I'm building Uh, and I look forward to seeing you soon.